Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. And he, that is Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost and is found. So ends the reading of God's word. Uh, Let us pray that the Lord would bless our time in it. Father, we are here to hear you speak, to grasp the heights of your plans. to stand on your promises, to know your grace, and to grow in faith. And so we ask that you would speak. You would instruct us by your word. That you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts, you would open our minds to know you, to love you, and to follow you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever noticed how quickly your perspective can change 
One minute you're racing down the road, worried that you won't get to the dentist on time. And the next minute you're just praying that the paramedics get there fast enough. And getting to the dentist is the last thing you are worried about. Crises uh, have a, an ability to give us perspective about what really matters. When everything is going well, uh, parents can tend to focus on things like grades and extracurricular activities and, and manners and so on. But when times get hard, we suddenly focus on what really matters. It's easy to focus on the little things, things that don't matter. It's easy to major on the minors and to minor on the majors. It, and when we do, we lose perspective of what's really important, what really matters to God. We lose God's perspective. And that message comes home in our passage today. It's a very familiar one. It's typically referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. And yet I think that title misses how important the older son is to the story. Jesus spends a fair amount of time talking about the older brother at the end of the passage. And he does so for a reason doesn't waste words. I mentioned last time that there's three parables in Luke 15 and that they, they all hold together. There's the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And we looked at those two two weeks ago. And now there's the parable of these two sons. And in a sense, this parable of the prodigal sons uh, is reiterating and emphasizing what we saw in those first two parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. The parable of the lost sheep is, is the story of wandering and restoration. And, and that's what we see in the younger son. He wanders and he's restored. The parable of the lost coin was different because the lost coin never left the house and yet it was no less lost than the sheep. And that coin, that lost coin that never leaves the house is mirrored in the older brother. And that means um, that no one is exempt from what this parable has to say. It's easy, I think, to read this parable and think that it only addresses those who rebel and those who wander. We, we want to tell those uh, that... that that there is grace even for people like them. And yet we miss that the other brother needs grace just as much as the younger brother. And so there's something for everyone in this passage. All of us should be able to identify with at least one of the brothers, maybe both at different times. But with that realization comes a comfort, and it's this. We are all prodigals, and God's grace is every bit sufficient for each of us. We are all prodigals, but God's grace is sufficient for each and every one of us. That's what we want to see as we open up this well-known, hopefully not too familiar that we 
turn our ears off and our hearts off. We want to hear what God has to say. And I want to spend a little time on each brother and try to zero in on on what each has to teach us, uh, their assumptions, understand what their assumptions were, understand what their struggles were, and their need for grace. And then I want to look at the hero of the story, the father, and the great grace that he shows for his sons. Because in him, we see God's amazing love for us. And that's, that's the beauty of our passage. Now, as the story opens, uh, it's a familiar one. We find the younger of two sons going to his father and asking him for his inheritance. Now, there are so many problems with that. Um, Children, this is not one of those things in the Bible that that God is saying, go do this. Don't go home this afternoon and say, Dad, can I have my inheritance now? Uh, The most obvious problem with this is that when do you usually get your inheritance? It's when your parent dies. Asking for your inheritance early is the equivalent of saying something like, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. Beyond that, it, it may have been that the younger brother was trying to get more than his share because typically the, the greater inheritance would go to the older brother. He's impatient. He's greedy. And where most people would be constrained by propriety, he just goes ahead and he asks his dad for his inheritance now. And I think we all know how wrong that is. Now, we all know what it is to want something that's wrong. We know the reasons that we would have uh, that we give when we want something that's wrong when we, or when we want to leave home. Right when we want, when we decide it's time to leave home, what, what do we all say? And again, kids, we're not telling you what you should say in the future, just what we said in the past. It was things like, "There's too many rules here. My world is just too small." Or we, we talk about our parents' failures here or there. And yet, what did we know? We knew that we were just making excuses to chase our sin. That's all they are, excuses, attempts to, to cover up our real motives. Shockingly, the father says, okay, let me give you your inheritance. And once he had his money, he headed away, as far away as he could get. An unfamiliar place, a strange language, He put as much distance as he possibly could between himself and anyone who might question the decisions he's making. That distance wasn't just geographical. He plunged himself into reckless living. Uh, This is the only place in the New Testament it's, it's translated reckless living. Everywhere else the word is translated debauchery. He gave himself over to every fleshly pleasure. He wasn't just running from something. He was running to something. He was chasing the world. He was chasing his sin. He ran because he wanted to get away from every voice that would challenge that pursuit. And what was it in the world that drew him? There's a promise and you hear it in the movies around us, you hear it 
in the music, you hear it in the advertisements, and it all sounds like this. You deserve more. If it feels good, do it. Don't listen to the negative voices that get in in the way of you pursuing your dreams. Figure out what you want and don't let anything get in your way. You have just one go around on this big red round ball, red ball, not sure where that came from, round ball. Squeeze every drop of life out of it. And in each of those statements, there's an implied promise that if you just live with abandon, if you just seek those pleasures, you will live a life with no regrets. Because fun is what matters. Restraint is the enemy. Responsibility is a killer. And fulfillment is the reward of the adventurous. What so many have discovered the hard way is that all of those promises are empty. Those who have tried to fill themselves on fleeting pleasures find themselves more empty than when they began. It's like they take a drink and find themselves more thirsty after the drink. So what do they do? They drink again and again and again, finding satisfaction farther and farther and farther away. And so they end up, in that pursuit, they end up having to spend every penny they have trying to quench an unquenchable thirst. And then one day they find themselves without a penny to their name. And that's where the young man finds himself in our parable. And as soon as his money runs out, all his friends abandon him. And he finds himself alone. And he does the unthinkable. He got a job. But there aren't a lot of jobs out there for out-of-work partygoers. And so times were tight, pay was low, and he ends up tending pigs. He's a Jew, and Jews were forbidden from tending pigs, not because there's something wrong with pigs. There's so many things right with pigs. Um, But God had declared certain animals unclean and told his people to stay away from them, to teach them something, to teach them to be different than everybody else, that you're not to be like the world. You're to be different. You're called out. You're to be holy. You're not to seek after your sinful passions. You're called to seek after God. And this, this, this younger son, he, he rejects that holiness. He rejects God's people. He rejects God himself. Why pretend to be clean? Why pretend to be holy? And so he gives himself over to the filthiest occupation. And it, it becomes this mirror. It represents all he is and what he had become. And then one day, he has a moment of clarity. He remembers the servants in his father's household. They were treated well. They were paid well. He thinks, my dad treats his servants better than my friends have treated me. And he thinks, if I could get a job working for my dad, I'd be better off than I am now. His perspective has changed. 
no longer is his home uh, a prison that he needs to escape. It's now a place of opportunity. No longer is his dad's refusal to die uh, an impediment to his happiness. It now becomes his hope of rescue. And so he begins to rehearse his speech. I know you've never rehearsed a speech in your mind before, but you know, try to understand him. He does this. He, he thinks, I'm going to confess all. I'll admit that I've sinned. I'll acknowledge that I've forfeited any claim on my father's provision. I'll ask, no, I'll beg for a job. For him to receive me not as a son, but as a servant. Yes, it will be humiliating, but it will be life. I'll have food and a warm place to sleep. The speech that he prepares tells us about more than the state of his heart. It certainly tells us that. Yes, it shows us how he has been humbled, how his perspective has changed. But it also tells us what he thinks about his father. He has certain expectations that might not be spoken, but they're evident in the speech. He is expecting his father to treat him with cold justice. He expects to be treated the way he treated his father, tit for tat. He's he's not expecting kindness and mercy, but resentment and payback. He thinks, I sowed the wind, and I'm going to reap the whirlwind. But what he found was the opposite. His father was delighted when he returned. He, he ran down the road to meet his son. And he'd hear nothing of hiring him as a servant, but he treated him as his honored son. He sent the servants to get fresh clothes and to prepare a feast. I want to dive deeper into the father's response, but before I do, I'd like to look at that other son, the older brother. To put it mildly, the older brother was uh, not quite as excited as his father that his brother had returned. He was angry, and he refused to attend the festivities. And unable to contain his resentment, he, he tells his father, these many years I, I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He wants his brother punished. He wants to be the one who celebrated. He feels that the father has been too generous with his brother and not generous enough with him. When he looks at his brother and himself, he can't imagine two people being more different. His brother was reckless. He is responsible. His brother left. He stayed. His brother was disrespectful. He honored his father. And now his father is rewarding his brother? It makes him so angry. He can't even acknowledge him as his brother. You see how he refers to him? Your son. 
And so he refuses to attend the feast. And he makes it clear that he'd rather starve than agree with his father. Maybe he and his brother aren't that different after all. Those similarities go deeper. Because he too has his own unspoken assumptions. He believes his father's love must be earned. He thinks that he has earned every kindness he has ever been shown. Truth be told, he believes he deserves more than he has received. And if he can't understand his father's love for him, how will he ever understand it for his brother? In a sense, he sees love as finite. There's only so much of it to go around. He thinks that any love that his father shows for his brother is love that he will never receive. He thinks that for his father to show kindness to his brother, something must be withheld from him. He sees his brother and himself as competing for limited resources. How often do we act the same way toward God? When we see him show kindness to others, we get jealous. We don't rejoice because we think that for God to show kindness to another, something must be withheld from us. We, we can tend to compete for God's affections as if they were in short supply. So how does the father respond? How does he respond to the younger son when he returns? And how does he respond to the older brother when he grumbles? Well, to the younger son, the father adamantly rejects any idea of receiving him back as a servant, as a hired hand. He, He doesn't see his son's sin and rebellion. He sees only an answer to prayer. What he has longed for has been returned to him. It's not time to lecture and to talk about repayment or to use this to his advantage so that he might get something out of his son. It's time to celebrate because what is lost has been found. And so he dresses him in in his absolute best and he slaughters the best cow and and he throws a party, not because he's obligated, not because it was deserved, but out of pure fatherly love. And so even though his son has, has, in a sense, received already everything he's entitled to, the father gives him yet more. And he absorbs the cost of his son's sin and responds with provision because his son who watered like a sheep has been found and has been brought back. And so the father feels nothing but joy. What else could he do but celebrate? This is the heart of the father that the older brother just doesn't understand. In the face of his son's rebuke, the father tries to explain. It's it's not that he's going to take anything from the older brother. He assures him, look, all that I have, all that is mine is yours. What he wants his son to understand is the perspective of having something that you thought was lost returned to you. It's as if that younger brother has been raised from the dead, and now the older brother is wondering, does this mean I'm going to have to share my room? 
His perspective is just so twisted. He majors on the minors and he minors on the majors. He misses what's truly important. And you're left wondering if the father has lost the older brother even though he's been there the entire time. He's like that lost coin. Still in the house, but missing. How great will the father's joy be when the older brother too is found? I open by saying that there is something in this passage for everyone. That we should be able to identify with at least one of the brothers. The question isn't, are you like the prodigal son? But which son are you like? Most days I can identify with the older brother. I'm the youngest of three sons. And I was not the one who pushed the boundaries. Well, at least usually. Uh, Sometimes I felt like the younger brother, but usually it was easy for me to keep the rules, meet the expectations, and to think that I deserved more. To feel self-righteous, judgmental, and to be so far from understanding a parent's love. And then eventually to face that reality and to wonder if God could ever love, ever forgive such an arrogant, proud, self-righteous person. Maybe you can relate. Or maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about because you can only identify with the younger son. You've taken kindness and you've abused it. You've acted foolishly and blamed others. You've spurned, rejected, and run from those who sought to help you. You've done things that you're so ashamed of. And you feel like the filth and and the stench can never be washed away. And you think there is no possible way that God could ever own you as his own. That he could never show you kindness. You just hope that maybe there might be some place where you can find an out-of-the-way place to serve and hope that you just don't get in the way. Maybe you prepare a self-loathing speech because you don't dare believe that there's any way God could love you. It doesn't matter which son you can relate to because there is good news for everyone. The story is meant to tell you how the Father sees you. There's only one brother who truly never disobeyed and willingly sacrificed everything for his sinful brothers. We heard it in our declaration of pardon this morning in Hebrews 2. He is not ashamed to call us brothers. He sought us out. He suffered all that we deserved so that that we might be restored to our heavenly inheritance. He did all of this 
because his father's heart and the father's heart, his heart and the father's heart are one. Whether you were lost by wandering or lost within his house, God rejoices when you're found. He delights when you name your sin and you repent. And and his love is not in short supply. We have to learn to see with his perspective. His delight, his joy is, is when his children return. And he washes away all the stench of sin. He clothes us in his his own perfect righteousness. And then he prepares a feast. We see that reality of our Father's love for us in two visible ways this morning. Uh, The first is, is through baptism. As Joe and Julie, in just a few minutes, bring Joseph forward to be baptized, we are reminded of our God, who is also our Father. He knows us. He loves us. He commands that we, that we come and that we bring our, our children uh, unto him. And in baptism, God is declaring a few things to Joseph. God is declaring that we are all born in sin and in need of washing. And he's declaring that all who come to him will be washed and forgiven and named as sons and heirs. And, and in his, uh, his promise is that, that grace is always available to the humble. And so our hope, our desire is to see Joseph grow and humbly own that promise to confess his sin and claim Christ as his own. And then just after the baptism, we're going to have the Lord's Supper, a feast that God prepares for his children who run to him and repent of their sin. It's a reminder that he is the father of prodigals and he rejoices and he celebrates and prepares a feast when his children return. And please pray with me. Father, we struggle to understand your heart, your love, and your generosity. We struggle to believe that your love is not in short supply, that you aren't stingy, that you lavish upon your children uh, love and kindness, that you, that you rejoice when we repent, and that you don't exact repayment from the foolish but you bear the cost. And so we thank you for our older brother, Jesus, who is not ashamed to call us brothers, but suffered much in order to bring us to glory. Help us to love as we have been loved and to forgive as we have been forgiven. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. Amen.